0: Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise.
1: I have the honor this morning of introducing Billy Humphrey. I met Billy at a lunch that was set up in order for us to be able to meet. Um, Billy is leading um, in Atlanta, Gate City Church, 15 years, 24-7, a Levite community, day and night, night and day, worship and prayer in response to the worth and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. But we, we had the opportunity to have lunch together, and we sat down to have lunch, and he just, he, he just asked me, he said, why are you guys doing what you're doing in Orlando, we, we planted a church in Orlando. We have a collection of house churches and, and on and on. And we're really going for it. Like, we've given our lives to it. There's many that are even here in Milwaukee um, that are a part of our church family. A beautiful, Jesus-loving, on-fire people. Um, we feel really honored to be able to lay our lives down in the soil of our city alongside so many other radical Jesus lovers. Um, but he said, why, why are you doing what you're doing? and i just simply responded and said acts 13 and when i said acts 13 he pushed back from the table and he was like what did you say and i was like oh sniper we about to fight or something like like what if, <laughs> like, like like ooh billy's fiery i was like man I, and he's like what, what what did you say and i said man acts 13 And he began to cry, and he said, you you, you have no idea how precious of a passage to me Acts 13 is, And, and it made me think, how many friends do I have, how many people do I have in my life that at the mention of Bible verses, whose hearts are so tenderized by the nearness of Jesus and his transformative work in them, that at the mention of a Bible verse while trying to eat a steak at lunch, the mention of a Bible verse will burst forth in tears. And I said, Lord, I, I need a lot of help. <laughs> I, I need a lot. I need you to do something in me, Jesus. Uh, you see, we need, we need people in our lives that provoke us unto greater places of loving Jesus, whose lives are provoking, whose lives c- carry a tension and create a jealousy. Um, I'm really honored that you would come and be with us this morning, Billy. We love you. Well, <clears throat> we are so grateful for you.
0: Yeah, it's a total honor to be here. I love Michael and the team. This, you know, what's interesting is just with your whole crew, there's just such a sense of family. You know, you guys love well. And uh, it's evident. It's evident on everybody. And um, I was thinking, there's a, I'm just going to start off with this. This is not my message at all, but... <laughs> start off with a movie clip, Um, but I was thinking about that uh, picture of Aragorn in uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and um, the maiden, she says to him, your men love you. Yeah, I just feel like that about you, Michael, like your men love you, and that's, you know what I'm saying, like when you see that on a leader, like that's you're just like, well, I'd follow that. If everybody that knows him actually likes the guy, I'm in. and um, But uh, your, your, your team is a family, and it's just compelling. It, it, it moves me to see that. And I just know that there's a deep authenticity and a richness there. Well, I'm going to do my best to be nice to you this morning. Corey body slammed us about five different ways last night. <laughs> Corey's one of my best friends in the, on the earth, and uh we run together a lot. I'll I'll put one plug out there just because I think it'll bless you. Uh Corey and I do a podcast called Gripped. Yeah. You guys, cool. All the Burning One people know it. Yeah. So uh if you're a podcast person, I'm personally not, and I think that's maybe what makes it a good podcast, because we don't know what you're supposed to do on podcasts, and we just start talking, and then we're groaning, and then we're weeping, and then we're laughing, and then we're groaning, and then we're preaching. Anyway, uh, Gripped, I would encourage you to check it out. You can get it wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all the podcast places. It's on YouTube. It's funny, if you watch it from first the first season through the... We've, we've done four seasons so far. They're 10 weeks each. But the first season, we look like we're hostages in the Middle East. <laughs> we just... We we had to get upgraded a little bit. So we got, the second season gets a little better, and then the third season, it's like, oh, they figured out how to do that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Gripped, Corey and I, and we basically just, we just start bleeding. That's what we do. And the Lord meets us. And so uh, we've gotten testimonies literally all over the nation from Grip. So if that's your thing, I want to encourage you to check it out, and uh, I think it'll bless you. Awesome, we prayed, we're ready, I just want to look at Jesus one more time, we'll get in the word. I heard Ben Fitzgerald say this at a conference I was in several years ago, he said that he heard like an angel call the people to attention and say, all eyes on Jesus. So all eyes on Jesus. Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is beautiful. Your eyes, your voice, you're the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And We're here for you. We are only here for you. We only want to hear from you. So move right now in our midst. I pray that you would take my weak words and you would use them, put heavenly power on them. And I offer what a man can offer, believing that you will give what only God can give. So come, Holy Spirit, unlock us, I pray. Unlock our hearts right now. Unlock us and deliver us from everything that's keeping us from you. So Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray, let me speak as your oracle. Hold my hand. Release revelation in this room, spirit of revelation. This whole room, we bring it under the authority of the Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter (laughs) 3. Scott Volk. I told you what I was preaching last night. He's acting like he gave me a prophetic word that I was going to preach from Revelation 3. <clears throat> um, uh, probably this passage has been the most profound passage for, for me personally this whole year, um, and uh, I honestly can't get away from it. The more I look at it, the more the Lord speaks to me from it, and I'm going to, I'm just going to bear my heart with you this morning. I'm not going to do the preacher thing best I can. I'm just going to be honest and open and share my, share my heart with you, um. But I'll tell you, the Lord, He began to speak to me about this passage um, in 2020. So it was right after COVID hit and everybody was scrambling. And I will just tell you, when you get to talk to leaders a lot, that was probably one of the scariest moments because nobody knew what to do. I mean, all. All the leaders were trying to figure out what to do, and nobody knew it. And you could see it. You could see it in the sports world. You could see it in the political world. It was definitely in the church world. And it's still the same. We really don't know what we're doing. And if you're a leader, if, you're, if you if if you you say you know what you're doing, bless you. God bless you. But I think the only thing we know to do is hold on to Jesus right now. Because it's just, it's just, we're done. I mean, it, Acting like some human, you know, leader in front of some organization is the answer that we need, some political answer, some financial answer, some spiritual answer. Michael and I were talking beforehand, and he was telling me about this profound dream he had where there was this guy that represented the church, and he was a bodybuilder. But when it came down to actually did he have any authority, he literally had no authority. He had all the exterior trappings and none of the interior authority. Anyway, so everybody's scrambling, COVID's hitting, World Health Organization calls it a pandemic, and everything freaks out. So I'm seeking the Lord, and the Lord, he whispers to me, Revelation 3, and then a pastor, friend of mine, says, the Lord's speaking to me, Revelation 3, Laodicea. And I'm like, that's it. That's the word of the Lord. So I did what preachers do. I made a video and put it on the internet. This is going to get ugly before it gets pretty. I'm just warning you right now. I made a video, put it on the internet. I don't know. It got whatever, views and moved on to what the next thing was. So, so fast forward to the beginning of this year. And my friends in the house of prayer in Kansas City, they start saying, man, God has put Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, on our hearts. And they said, we're going to spend six weeks focusing on this, two meetings a week. And I remember thinking when they first came out with that, I went, hmm, wait a minute. Revelation 3, yes, yes, the Lord spoke that to me last year. Last year, I was ahead of the curve, and my brothers in Kansas City are now just getting with the program. Good. They'll need six weeks on that since. I mean, I had it right when corona hit, so. And the Lord, he said, no, you need to take another look at that. And so I got into the passage, and I was like, oh, this is a good one. We're going to get all these lukewarm people on fire And I remember I I was invited to a weekend conference, and I preached Revelation 3 the whole weekend, four or five sessions. And I felt, oh, yeah, now I'm really getting it. Yeah, I got the word of the Lord doing the preacher thing. And he said, yeah, you need to take another look at that. And I said, God, I, I mean, I've preached messages on this passage. I know this passage. I got it before the guys in Kansas City got it. And he said, you need to take another look at the passage. So I'm going to read it to you, and I want to just invite you right now not to flinch, not to think of the other person that needs to hear this so badly this morning. And um, and also, maybe even allow the thoughts that you've had about the church of Laodicea, allow that, let's just put that on the side and let's just see if the Lord will speak to us in a fresh way. So Revelation 3 verse 15, he says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And I remember as the Lord began to continue just to breathe on this passage, I realized something that was humiliating. He spoke it to me in March of 2020, not for me to make a video. And he spoke it to me again through my brothers in Kansas City, not for me to preach it at a a weekend conference. He spoke it to me because it was about me. And what I did was I took the passage and I preached it as quickly as I could before I allowed it to actually have its work in me if you're a preacher, teacher, worship leader of any level, when the Lord speaks a word to you, I just want to encourage you, let that word work in you before you imagine that he wants to work it through you. You got to let it work in you first. And, uh, and so what I realized was this, I'll start working through the passage and then I'm going to just share some things God did in my own heart. But what I realize is this, virtually every time I've ever heard this passage preached, the emphasis is on, I will vomit you out of my mouth, right? Like some of you already knew, like as soon as I said, let's turn to Revelation 3, you're like already like ducking or you're thinking about Susie who needs to be here. And I would just say this, the, the clear point to me about this passage is vomiting out of his mouth isn't the emphasis that's not the emphasis now it's there for sure there's a there's a a sting on it for sure and a challenge to it but when you read this passage this this word to the church of Laodicea what you have to realize is it's coming out of a deep tenderness and desire in the heart of the son of God In fact, he's not coming backhanding and slapping. He's actually coming and saying, I love you so much. I want to fellowship with you. I care about you so much, and I'm so interested in you, I'm going to tell you things that nobody else will tell you. I'm gonna come to you as a counselor I'm gonna assess the issues. I'm gonna give you the answers, and the reason why is I love you. I love you, and I want you. And man, as I started seeing that in these verses, it started melting me. Because I realized I had been getting defensive whenever somebody would mention Laodicea. I'm not Laodicean. I don't have a Laodicean spirit. I'm on fire. We do night and day prayer. What do you think it takes to do night and day prayer? You got to be on fire. Clearly, we're on fire. Take your Laodicean and rebuke somewhere else. Give it to some denominational people or something. And I realize this, that there are, there are tender, deep desires in the heart of Jesus, that he's inviting us into if we will, for half a second, open our heart, put down our defenses, and let him be like an American Idol judge on the state of our spirituality. You know, Simon Cowell, he's a little mean, but when he was doing that, back in there, it was really entertaining, but it was really kind of refreshing that you'd have somebody say so clearly to people like what the real state of their ability really was. It was just like, wow, he really did tell them they should never sing again, ever. We were all mystified with that, right? It was just like, we wanted to watch the train wreck. We knew it was coming. You know, back in the day when that thing first came out, it was like, there's a train wreck coming. He's about to tell this guy, oh, that guy can't sing. Here it comes. But there's something, there's something about the authenticity of truth. We we really long for it. it. It's painful. Truth is a painful friend. You know what I'm saying? You ever you know get that you ever had that early flight or that early wake-up and the, the the alarm goes off at 4 a.m. and you're thinking, it cannot be. And it's truth is rattling you from your bed when all you want to do is keep slumbering. It's a painful reality when truth is truth and there's nothing you can change about it. You can't, you can't alter it. But truth is so clean and pure and such an important friend. Because if we will allow truth to have its way, it will set us free. It will liberate us from our fantasies and our delusions. Come on. And so Jesus comes as a friend wielding truth. He comes as a counselor. He, he comes with a deep desire and a longing in his heart. He comes as a lover. He goes, because I love you, I correct you and I call you out. Because there's something I'm after. I'm after you. I want you. I want to be with you. You're what I want. I want fellowship. I want deeper fellowship. And what's interesting in the passage here is that Jesus is knocking on the door. The church seems to be safely inside, and Jesus is outside, and it's a shock, isn't it? Shouldn't Jesus already have been in there? He's knocking on the door, asking, please let me come in. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's... Entire eschatological um, groups that look at the Laodicean passage, they look at the seven letters, the seven churches, and they see Laodicea as the church of the last days. And a lot of times it's just left with, it's a lukewarm church in the last days. But that's not the passage. The passage is, though you are lukewarm, I am going to repossess you. Though you have been poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. I am going to heal your eyes. I am going to clothe you. I am going to give you gold refined in the fire. There's an entirely new reality coming to the church, and I'm convinced that the passage is a revival passage way more than it's a lukewarm backslider passage. The other thing about this passage is this, is we tend to make this about the people with the egregious sins, Right, like there's people probably that you know that have been a part of a congregation that you were a part of or are a part of. And they, they got off into, into bad sin and then they, they kind of lost their way with the Lord. And we go, that's right, they're Laodicean, they're lukewarm, they're backsliders. But what's interesting about Jesus and his approach to Laodicea is all the other churches he names out specific sins you're tolerating Jezebel. You're, you're, you're going with the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Uh, you guys are involved in uh, meat sacrifice to idols and, and sexual immorality. Laodicea, he just calls it lukewarmness. He doesn't actually nail a specific sinful activity. It's really interesting. And so I had to dial in. I go, okay, you are you are... You're forcing me, you're inviting me to point the arrow at myself on this Laodicean spirit. What is it you're trying to get me to see? And it, it all comes down to this. Because you say you are rich, have become wealthy, and here it is, and have need of nothing. And you do not know That you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I will tell you this the foundational reality of lukewarmness is believing you don't have a need. The foundational truth behind lukewarmness, what makes one lukewarm, is they believe they don't have any needs. That's it. And so this is what the Lord began to do with me. I'll tell you this story. It's, oh, it's beautifully terrible. Terribly beautiful. My son, my middle son, he's uh, 20. He's in, a, he's in a relationship. She's a good girl, she, to be quite honest he's batting he's batting out, out of a, a thousand he's hit the ball out of the park i'm like man let's just let's call this a day bro you you're there this is the one he's trying to still get his legs under him, so i'm giving him some time but anyway i'm just not sure if he if he, i don't know if he's going to get another one like this that's what i'm saying it's just i know him better than her and i'm like if she really likes you man you may want to go for this anyway i love him he's awesome so <laughs> So he's, he starts asking me dad questions about this relationship. It's his first serious one. And he's, he's asking me intimate things, sharing his heart with me. We're really just engaging and communicating. And uh, it's, it's tender. It's, it, we're, we're, we're connecting at a deep level. And I said, son, do you feel like we've grown closer over these last several months? And he said, yeah, dad, for sure. And I said, what do you think that is? Listen to this sentence. It's the best sentence. If you're a dad, you want your kid to say this sentence to you. He said, I've come to realize you're my safe place. That's the best sentence ever, right? Yeah, the Lord underlined, I've come to realize. I thought, huh. I said, son, was there a time, I said, that, that's so meaningful what you just said. I said, was there a time when you didn't feel like I was your safe place? He goes, well, yeah, instant. And he began to, with details, explain to me when he was 16 years old. And I corrected him. He had done something really wrong. He goes, I was wrong. I said this wrong. It was really bad. I know it. He goes, but you corrected me. And then you corrected me so strongly. He goes, I felt like a complete failure. He goes, and what you don't know is I went and I cried in the bathroom for an hour. Because I was broken over my own sin. But I was broken also over the way that you corrected me dad and i remember it he be- he embarrassed me in front of some people and i was like you'll never do that again and the lord he said you were frustrated you were harsh you were arrogant and you took it out on your son and you need to repent and he started dealing with me in my own areas of frustration I said, son, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He said, ah, oh, i have forgiven you. He said, I love you. I, I said, thank you. Next day, I come into the office at church, and that night, the Lord had put, put one of my staff on my mind that I'd just been frustrated with in recent days. And I said, hey, I want to mention something to you. I'm so sorry. I know I've been frustrated with you. I know I've come across harsh. Please forgive me. Now, listen, I'm a happy guy. I'm not a yeller. Like unless you believe that I was beating my wife behind the you know the church when no one was looking, that's not the truth. I'm a genuinely happy person, and uh, I, I'm kind. I have fun with people. But the Lord was putting His finger on an area, and I and I repented to this staff member, and I said, "I'm so sorry that I've been harsh. I've been I've been frustrated." They exploded, crying. And when that happened, the pebbles from the avalanche started, and then everything started. And I started dialoguing with the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I'm not an angry man. I don't, I don't, I, don't I, I mean, I really do forgive, and I'm merciful, and I, I, I mean, I, somebody, you know, I, I just, I was justifying myself with God. I go, God, if somebody does me wrong 10 times, I'll forgive them all 10 times and just treat them really nice. I said, but you know, at some point in time, you got to tighten somebody up. Some point in time, you got to tell them this is it. He said, yeah, that's how you do it, but that's not how I do it. He said, I'm 70 times seven. I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he started putting his finger on an area that I didn't think I had any need, my leadership, my fatherhood. See, if I would have, if you would have asked me, how are you doing in the fathering department, I would have gone, great. I got three adult sons all serving Jesus. My daughter loves me. I'm, I got dozens and dozens of spiritual sons and daughters. Fathering, A+. Plus. God goes, let's compare you not to others. Let's compare you to me. And he put his finger on an area I thought I had need of nothing. And I'm telling you, he burned me down. He put an area, he put his finger on an area. He said, Let's talk about your leadership with your staff. And he began to show me different ones, different times, I mean, just moments where I'd gotten irked or frustrated. And I would. Grab these different ones that have been with me. And so many of my team, they've been with me 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. Different ones, I'd grab them. I'd say, hey, listen, I know I uh, was frustrated with you at this time and that time. I want you to please forgive me. I repent. And I'd watch grown men start weeping in front of me. And I realized, Lord, I'm not like you. And I need to be. And he burned me down. It was six weeks. I went on a repentance tour. (laughs) It wouldn't stop. I remember repenting to my daughter. She's the most spiritual one in our family. She's 11. She said, Oh, daddy, everybody gets frustrated. It's fine. I go, It's not fine. She goes, It's okay. Come here. Come here. It's okay. (laughs) And I realized need of nothing. And I just ask you, where do you think you don't need him? What are the areas you think you're doing really well? What, what's the place you feel like you've arrived? Because that's where the Laodicean spirit is holding on to you. That was my big challenge is that when the ground started shifting under me, when he started shaking me in a deep way, when he started convicting me in a deep way, I was, I was puzzled. I said, Lord, I thought I had I'd arrived in these areas. He goes, no, there is no arrival. I'm infinite. And I go, well, what do I have to, how do I arrive in this age? I want to grow up into the head in Christ. I want to be mature. How do I do this? He says, Need is the place of arrival. Need. Laodicea was wealthy. They were naturally wealthy. They, there was a massive earthquake that had hit that whole region in 60 AD. Every one of the other Roman provinces asked Rome for money. Laodicea paid for their own rebuilding. They didn't need Rome. They were a, an economic center they had beautiful clothing that they sold, and they had this interesting eye salve made out of Phrygian stone. They sold this stuff, and they were known as this, this place of great prosperity. And even it had infiltrated the church like a virus. They didn't think they needed anything. And beloved, that is the this, this significant most serious symptom of our lukewarmness is that when we come to this place where we think we don't need God in any area, that's where we're lukewarm. And that's where he started dealing with me so deeply in my leadership, in my fathering, and in my own passion for the Lord. And preachers, we can get really good at preaching messages and living it way less we get comfortable with the uh, dissonance and i had to look at it and i realized that there's there are areas in my own soul where i was preaching truth that i wasn't living and i had to come to grips with that and 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 repent and get clean before the lord and if and. Here's the thing. It's not like one of these deals where, oh, yeah, I mean, I've just got all the big bad ones going on. It's stuff that I thought I'm better than others. Those internal judgments, those attitudes. He lit me up and he burned me down. And here's what I would just say to you when conviction over lukewarmness penetrates your defense mechanisms when it penetrates your self protection your self justification and your self promotion then your eyes are beginning to be healed then he's beginning to clothe you you know he actually says hey listen you're naked and you don't know it can you imagine You're naked and you don't know it? You ever had one of those dreams? I'm in the store? How do I I have clothes on? You're naked and you don't know it. You're blind and you don't know it. You're poor and you don't know it. Oh. And I realized this passage wasn't for all of them out there. It was for me right here. And I'm telling you, when the leaders of the church in America will confess their own lukewarmness, now we can start talking about revival. But until then, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. i said a long time, the most dangerous person in any room is the one that doesn't know that he doesn't know. If you know that you don't know, then you're teachable. But if you don't know that you don't know, no one can talk to you. And I think what we've gotten used to in Christianity in the West is we've learned our 100 Bible verses. We've figured out how to go to the, through the Christian motions. We go to the Christian meetings. We serve in the Christian ways. We might even give 10% of our money. We do the things that look like radical because we're comparing ourselves to a culture that is completely drowned in sin and debauchery and i just i look at it and i and i realize oh we learn how to go through the motions of a of a christian culture without having a heart that's wide open to jesus Because I want to get to the place like when the preaching is coming, when the Bible is being read, that my heart is wide open and anything could hit me anywhere and it's okay. Like being in ministry, it looks weird for pastors to answer altar calls. Why? Why? Because there's supposed to be something special. But they're just men, and they're just women who need Jesus. And if we try to put them on a pedestal where we think they don't need it, we do. What have we done? We've created a culture where they have to self-protect and self-promote and act like there's something that they're not, because if they're honest about who they are, now we can't trust them. But if we could get real, I love what you said this morning. You said something like, we've got to get real because the Holy Spirit is only going to address real. He's not going to allow us to, you know, fake it. And then he's like, I'll just go with your facade. And this, I'll I'll tell you what, you know one of the reasons why our kids have a hard time serving the Lord? Because we teach them to do all the Christian things, but we never teach them to have their heart opened. We we, we're more interested in behavior modification than we are into an open, vulnerable heart. It says, I need Jesus. I need him. I need him like air. I need him like the blood in my veins. I need him to breathe. And I'm convinced the issue isn't with those bad sinners out there, those backslidden guys that don't come to church anymore. The issue is us and us thinking we don't have any need. And then we we, we cake our heart over and, and we go, look, I, I know somebody who really needs this word right now. I hope they get it. And we imagine that... The arrows of the Lord are not coming towards us. Oh, that we would live with open, vulnerable hearts. Think about this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, knocking on the door of your heart saying, can I please come in? I want you. I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. I love you. He goes... I want to come into you and fellowship with you and you with me. I have this image of Jesus knocking on the door. I open up. I go, Oh my gosh, I didn't even have a minute to tidy up. He goes, It's fine. I'm in. And he walks in and he goes, You want to have? I go, Jesus, you want something to eat? He goes, Yeah, I'd love it. I look and it's like, Oh gosh, I got ham sandwiches. I go, Gee, I'm so sorry. I got ham sandwiches and corn dogs. He goes, I'd love one of your ham sandwiches. That's what you got. That's what I'm here for. And he goes, and I brought something too. Filet mignon. (laughs) He'll, He'll fellowship with us. He goes, and you with me. But I will tell you, when he walked in the door of my heart, because I've prayed these prayers so many times, and he started knocking, and I was like, oh, God, I'm good. I don't need anything. He goes, no, no, let's just, hey, hey. I go, okay, okay, come on in. The avalanche fell. He walked in like that fantastic four-human torch guy. Everything got set on fire. I said, God, I don't think I can, I I don't know how to get myself back together. He goes, get comfortable with need. Delight in need. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said it. He says, "I, I delight in needs and infirmities and in persecutions because when I am weak, then I am strong. He goes, I've asked the Lord. He goes, I've been buffeted by a messenger of Satan. I've asked the Lord to take this thing from me three times. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. See, if we can get comfortable with need, then we can have a manifest perfection of the glory of God in our midst. He promises to meet need with power. He promises to meet weakness with power. And I just think the days of that strutting bodybuilder Christianity thing, it is done. 2020 showed us we have no answers without Jesus. It, shows us, it showed us that the only thing we can rely on is Jesus. David said it this way. He said, I fear you, and I rely on your love. And, beloved, this, you want a burning heart Come out of that facade of of being self-provided for. Come out of that self-protecting facade. Come into deep need. Come into the truth of your own weakness. And that's where his strength will be made perfect, beloved. I just... I just so sense his tenderness over that point that he wants fellowship. He wants you. He wants fellowship, but not through some fake thing. He wants reality. And this is the thing he's emphasized to me probably the most. I've said it for years, but he's just turned it up on me. The number one theater that we walk out our Christianity is not in conference meetings. It's not in church settings. It's not on platforms. It's not on social media, for sure. The number one theater that we walk out who we are with Jesus is our family. And the five or ten friends that see us the most. See, where you spend 90% of the time is where you walk out the greatest reality of yourself, not where you are 10% of the time. We imagine we put on a church face and that makes us a good Christian. Meanwhile, we're at home, not acting anything like the person we presented on social media and on Sunday. This thing has to transcend the impartation at the convocation. Corey said it last night, He said, you get an impartation, impartation, it lasts about two weeks, which is just long enough so you can make a good decision about how you're going to change and then walk that out the 90% of the rest of your time. It's got to boil down to that. I wanted to be nicer. I will come into you. I counsel you. As many as I love, I call you out and I correct you. As many as I love, I call you out and I correct you. Lord, I'm asking that you would rid us of a Laodicean spirit caked over, glazed over hearts, doing all the charismatic things, but having our hearts closed. We want to have an open, vulnerable heart.
1: Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame
0: the love that you have for Him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, Visit our website, earningones.org, or download our app.